Your news programme every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Yeah, so just continuing that UBS, the Swiss bank, warned at the recently concluded World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, that the fourth industrial revolution will bring about wide-sweeping changes. Uh, it uh, actually ranked South Korea 25th in a survey measuring various nations' ability to adapt to new technologies. These are technologies that we're already seeing in our daily lives, but which will continue to take jobs, not just from the traditional working classes, but also the middle classes of today, where basically the, the worst scenario is a very small number of very rich people <laughs> control the world. Now, some would say we're already in that scenario, but it would be very rich people and robots, effectively. Is it really a dystopia that we're looking at, or is there a way of shaping this into an opportunity? Mr. Paul Donovan is uh, Global Economist Managing Director at UBS Investment Bank and joins us on the line. Good morning from Seoul. Good morning. Um, can you just tell us a bit more about the concept of this fourth industrial revolution? We've seen a, a series of major industrial changes since the 18th century. Yes, so the first industrial revolution was, was basically about harnessing um, the power of machinery. Um, so it was taking people out of their cottages as self-employed weavers and artisans and putting them into factories and, and using powered machinery to mass produce. And then we got the production line uh, in the 1870s to the 1920s, and then we had the microchip revolution of the 1970s. The fourth industrial revolution is a mix of things. It's a virtual economy, uh, the Internet of Things. It is um, about artificial intelligence. It's about robotics. And in many ways, what we're looking at is a reversal of the first industrial revolution. People more likely to become self-employed in the future, more likely to be working from home, or at least less likely to be working in offices and factories, and changing the sorts of skills that are going to be required in the future uh, if uh, individuals or companies or indeed countries are going to succeed. Yeah, I, I just wonder why the apparently tech-heavy South Korea is down in 25th. Well, this is because we're not just talking about technology here. The point about an industrial revolution um, is not actually the technology, uh, funnily enough. It's how the economies adapt to technology, how they adapt to the change. Now, with the um, fourth industrial revolution, moving to a more virtual economy means that rule of law and uh, um, uh, legal property rights suddenly become a lot more important um, because you, you, you are trading ideas more than you're trading physical product. Um, it also means that you need to have um, uh, an economy uh, where branding is quite strong. In a more virtual world, branding becomes very strong. You also need uh, to have, and, and this is really critical, flexibility in education. It's not enough to train people to be brilliant engineers by the standards of today's engineering, because today's engineers are going to be obsolete in 20 years' time. 
what you need to do is to create uh, not only highly skilled workers, but workers who are skilled at changing in the future, at adapting to changing environments. Mm. If you don't have flexibility in your workforce, you have very little chance uh, of being able to succeed. Now, Korea is a middle-ranking country on most of these criteria. We didn't come up with the criteria ourselves. We look at the World Economic Forum's objective rankings from the um, uh, World Competitiveness Report. And on these criteria, Korea at the moment, it should be stressed, is doing okay, but perhaps needs to consider how it can move up those rankings. I would argue particularly in the areas of flexibility in the education system and later skills training, if it's going to be able to move into the very top rank of countries in the future. Yeah, it, it seems to me there are a couple of different responses to this. The government's response, but also how we all act as individuals. For example, our loved ones, what sort of uh, education they pursue to be best prepared for this fourth industrial revolution. But what sort of timescale are we looking at? For example, if we've got children who are right now in school, is it likely to affect them or, or is it the generation after that? No, well, I think it's our generation um, is already starting to be affected. We're already starting to see changes. Um, you know, I, for example, spend um, maybe eight weeks a year in the office in London and the rest of the time I am traveling. But most of the time, you know, our clients don't know where I am in the world because I can do my job from a hotel in Seoul or I can do it from home in the west of England or I can do it at 30,000 feet on a plane across the Atlantic. Mm. So we now have a very different sort of environment already starting to come in. And the way that, that people like me are working today is radically different from the way that we were working 20 years ago. And I think that we've got that change coming again. So, yes, I think encouraging the younger generation to question, to challenge, uh, uh, teaching the younger generation how to adapt to changing circumstances and not to be afraid of innovation, not to be afraid to stand up and say, actually, I don't think the way we do things is right. Why don't we try a different way? That's really, um, I think, a very, very valuable skill at a time of significant structural change. Yeah, it does seem, that, though, that just far fewer people are needed for a number of services. I was reading um, one forecast that suggested... Uh, care for the elderly and even for children could be automated or at least uh, handled by artificial intelligence in the future but that does have dystopian undertones doesn't it i mean we all need to have a a beating human heart to feel loved and cared for don't we uh well i would agree yes and if that's what the majority of people want then that's what will happen um, we've got to remember that this is, um, you know, we're, we're not talking about robots taking over the world. We're not even talking about robots replacing everybody's job. Some jobs that exist today will be replaced, just as, you know, a handsome cab driver, um, you know, in, in 19th century London was ultimately replaced by, you know, motor cars and taxi drivers, and we don't have horse-driven carriages running around London anymore. So in the future, some of the jobs that happen today will become obsolete. But then we will have new jobs being created to take advantage of the new technologies, to take advantage of the new demands of a restructured society. I mean, this is you know, how we work, where we work, how we live, how we socialize. All of this is potentially changed in this environment. Fifteen years ago, if I had said, you know, one of the, one of the more successful careers you could have would be an app designer, 
you wouldn't have a clue what I was talking about mm. because 15 years ago, app designers didn't exist. And yet now this is a new lucrative job um, which has you know, created um, many, many successful careers for, for people of all ages and of all different sorts of backgrounds. So I don't think we should be scared of change uh, and scared of, of what is coming. I think, in fact, the more scared we are, the more likely it is we put up you know, futile resistance to, to the economic forces of change, and actually it can be, it can be very counterproductive. Yes, yeah, and that's a warning to, to government, isn't it, uh, that policymakers have to be very careful how they tread here with new technology. The, the other thing is, it's never been so easy, has it, to, to get very rich from whatever background you're, you're coming from. If, if you can set up shop with an app uh, in your bedroom and you don't need to have a, a lot of hardware to do that, by the same token, those left behind will feel just as hard done by as uh, every peasant and generation of the last few centuries. Well, exactly. And, and so this, I think, is, <clears throat> is the issue that society has to deal with. If there is you know, uh, equality of opportunity, genuine equality of opportunity, um, uh, where people can you know, maximise their, their skills as much as possible, to what extent, you know, through the taxation system, uh, through regulation, do you want to try and um, uh, control the distribution of wealth in society? Um, income inequality... Um, uh, it taken to extremes can be extremely damaging to a society over time, uh, particularly if, if it leads to rigidity, it can actually become counterproductive over time. You know, we need to have uh, equality of education experience in particular to succeed uh, in this sort of situation. Mm. And I think, to take a, a, an example at random, this is one of the challenges now, for example, in the United States where uh, increasingly people inherit their parents' education systems. The way that education is funded through local taxes means that if you live in a poor neighbourhood, you are more likely to have a poor education and then become poor or uh, be a poor adult yourself, which is why you have you know, the, uh, an underclass sort of developing. Um, that sort of situation, uh, in my view, is, is counterproductive. It is a, it's a, a wasted um, resource, economically speaking, because people with potential talent are not allowed to fulfil their full potential. Mr Donovan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Paul Donovan from UBS Investment Bank. And when we talk about a creative economy, I mean, this, this is really what we're driving at. It, it, and it's also trying to be inclusive. An, an inclusive creative economy would surely bring South Korea a little bit higher up on that list than 25th. You can email us, efmthismorning at gmail.com.